A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Hope you're ready for the uh, cold blast of winter that's about to come through. Tomorrow looks to be pretty frigid. Good news is it's a Sunday and there's a lot of football on. So, hey, I'm going to build a big fire, uh, make some hot drinks, and uh, and and relax. Well, hopefully, uh, the cold weather just uh, blusters along outside. Um, in the meantime, we're at a very important time. This time of year is a very important time for gun rights in Indiana and in, in a lot of states because it's the beginning of the legislative session. And, you know, every year there are bills introduced that would enhance your Second Amendment rights, would protect your Second Amendment rights. And we have a lot of legislators. You know, a lot of times our leg- legislators they get a hard time, uh, including from conservatives, talking about how, you know, they're just in it for themselves or they're all paid off or all the silly things that you hear out there. And listen, I'm not saying there's not corruption in politics, but I'm just saying when you work side by side with these people and when you 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 go to the committee hearings and you participate in the discussions and you talk to them one-on-one, there are an awful lot of people who are not only dedicated but passionate about protecting your Second Amendment rights, and sometimes to their own political detriment. I mean, we've had senators and representatives both basically get told to back down on constitutional carry back in the day before really there was a sea change in 2022 among uh, particularly Senate leadership. But, But we had folks basically told, hey, just sit down and be quiet and quit embarrassing leadership on this constitutional carry issue. And there were multiple senators and representatives who just refused, who said, no, this is something that needs to happen in Indiana. And, and, and really went after it and really fought hard and had to fight not only their own leadership, but of course the, the Democrats and the media and many others who were out there calling us all kinds of names because we were trying to get legislation through that would in fact recognize, enhance, and protect Second Amendment rights in Indiana. And, and listen, we're right at the beginning of the session. And so there have been a whole bunch of bills filed, and I've talked a little bit about this in the last week or two. But I'm going to talk about several of these because, as is um, the case in most sessions, you've got a number of bills on either side. You've got some out there looking to protect our Second Amendment rights. You've got some out there looking to, to minimize, if not eradicate them. We'll talk about both. And there's some, I think, you know, we hear a lot about common sense legislation which always makes me laugh. In fact, we had a caller here a couple of weeks ago proposing a really silly new law to make firearms inaccessible in automobiles. And we kind of went through 
how silly that was and who would and who wouldn't abide by that new law and who it would really affect and how it would really only be to the detriment of law-abiding gun owners and those people who want to be able to protect themselves, protect their families when they're in their vehicles. And at one point, I said, well, why would you even propose such a thing? Well, it's just common sense. Ah, Common sense is the, is, the, is the label now that gets affixed to any gun control bill that the people who despise your Second Amendment rights want to have passed, and they just label it common sense and expect you to buy it. But there are some common sense uh, provisions and uh, in, 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 in bills, uh, proposals that have, that have been uh, introduced. And one of them I'm going to talk about here after the first break was introduced by uh, Senator Jim Lucas. And hey, look, Jim's one of those folks who was out there fighting for years and years and years. Uh, we had a 10-year fight over constitutional care. And Jim Lucas, uh, Representative Ben Smalls, Representative Jerry Tor, Representative Peggy Mayfield, and over in the Senate, you had Aaron Freeman. I mean, we had some people really ha- uh, fight hard to get that done. But one bill that, that Jim has proposed before, and we'll talk about this after the break when he calls in, really is common sense uh, that uh, would enhance gun safety in terms of training and storage. And when you hear people talk about uh, training and storage, uh, uh, that is responsible storage of firearms, you always hear right along with it, well, we need a law. We need to make it a crime for someone to have a gun that's not locked up if there's someone you know, under 18 under their roof. Let's make criminals of those people. And I've talked about such laws, and there is an iteration of such a law that's been filed this year. It's a little different, though, and I'll talk about that later in the show. And and we said, well, let's have mandatory training. You can't buy a gun unless you've had a certain training course, or you can't get a handgun license until you've had a certain training course, or you shouldn't be eligible to carry under constitutional carry until you've had a certain amount of training. And look, I'm a trainer. I've been a, a firearms instructor for a long, long time. I've taught thousands and thousands, literally tens of thousands of people. Gun safety, responsible gun ownership, responsible gun use. And as part of that, we talk about storage. Do I want to see a law that makes it mandatory that you have to have a certain number of hours of training before you can buy a gun or before you can carry a gun? Look, as emphatic as I am, as passionate as I am about firearm training, I don't think you can be a responsible gun owner without getting some training from some source. Now, that may be your dad, the Marine, or the police officer. It may be at a, an organized uh, course that you pay money for from a certified instructor like me. And it may be from some other source. You need to get something. You don't just come out of the womb knowing how to safely handle a firearm. And I'm the first one to advocate for that basic fact. So why then would I oppose a law that makes it a requirement for you to carry, or excuse me, for you to receive training before you can buy a gun or carry a gun? Well, very easy. It's because as soon as the government starts controlling what training it is you need to have before you can exercise a constitutional right, what does that allow the government to do? And we saw this. We saw it in Washington, D.C. The courts told Washington, D.C. that didn't have a license to carry that it gave to its citizens. They said, well, you have to have one. 
And they came out and said, okay, we have one. Guess what? You need to take this training course. And I don't remember the specifics, but it was like a week long and it was thousands of dollars. I mean, I don't hold me to the specifics, but it was outrageously unreasonable and burdensome. And they did it intentionally because they were trying to basically say, we're going to make it next to impossible to meet this requirement so we don't have to issue any licenses to carry. And that's an extreme example, but that's what you're talking about. And you have the basic philosophical issue of should you have to meet a training requirement imposed by the government in order to exercise any constitutional right? I don't have to take a civics class before I can vote. Would we be better off if people had to take a civics class and learn some basic facts about our government and the operation of government and the election process before they go in and vote? We probably would. Would I ever advocate for such a requirement? Of course not. Because it's your right to go vote. And if you have that basic right, then who is the government to start imposing conditions on the exercise of that right? So how do you balance those things? Well, we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, We're going to take a break. In the meantime, you'll hear me talk about this here in just a minute. I want to welcome a new sponsor to the Gun Guy Show. I'm excited about this because I own their products. That's rockinguns.com. Rockinguns.com. That's R-O-C-K, just the letter N, guns. All one word, rockinguns.com. I own now four or five, four, no, five, five of their holsters and several of their mag carriers. And these are really top quality products that are made right here in Indiana. Uh, and a friend of mine actually owns this company, and I'm excited to have him as a sponsor of the Gun Guy Show. We'll talk more, we'll talk more about that here in just a bit. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is the Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Ralford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Let's go ahead and welcome into the drivecubler.com hotline. We've got uh, Representative Jim Lucas uh, from District 69, um, down a little bit south of Indy, uh, Seymour and surrounding area. Jim, uh, you and I go way back. We've spent a lot of time working on Second Amendment rights together in Indiana, but welcome back to the Gun Guy Show. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Guy. Thank you. And uh, thank you for all the things that you do for our gun rights here in this state. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Hey, listen, you and I, I think, I won't put any words in your mouth, um, but uh, since I've known you for so long, I'm pretty comfortable, comfortable in saying that you and I would agree that training is essential if uh, – you're going to be a responsible uh, gun owner and 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 have the ability to effectively use a gun, and and responsible storage is critically important as part of responsible gun ownership. Something I preach often here on the Gun Guy Show. Yet while we both think those things are very very important, uh, we both would oppose a law that says, well, well, we're going to make you a criminal if you carry a gun or buy a gun without training, or um, if you store your gun so that it, it's somehow accessible to uh, someone under 18 uh, under your roof, um, because obviously that that doesn't take into account all the different circumstances. Uh, Yet you've come up, I think, and this is not the first time you've introduced uh, a similar bill and advocated the same concept, but you've uh, um, you've come up with, I think, the right solution to this issue, um, and that's in uh, your bill that uh, is pending right now. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. You hit the nail on the head there, Guy. With rights come responsibilities. And firearms, you know, 
once that bullet leaves the chamber, it, it's not coming back. So yep. you have to you have to make sure that that bullet is going downrange where you intended it to. Um, you have to know how to handle your firearm, store it, clean it, um, all around. Just be safe with it. And this will it does not mandate. It is not a mandate. And, and mm-hmm. like you said, this is the best. Um, I hate to say solution because there's never a solution. There's always going to be something pop up. But I think this is a great tool in the toolbox to encourage people to go out there and get training, learn how to safely handle and store your firearm, and it gets government out of it. Well, exactly. And we're talking about House Bill 1144, and um, it's been introduced. We're hoping to get it a hearing here sooner than later. Um, but but describe Bill um, what Bill uh, House Bill 1144 would do, Jim, um, in the sense of really providing, and I think it's the right way to approach the issue. It's providing a carrot rather than a stick. Sure, it's it's basically it's a three hundred dollar individual state income tax credit. If you file jointly, it goes up to six hundred dollars, and that's it. There are no grants. Uh, we're not taking money from Peter to give to Paul so Paul can go out and take you know lessons or buy a safe or anything like that. This is something that you do upon your own. There are no departments that have to be set up. Everything is already established, and it is as clean as I know how to, to get out there and encourage people to do the right thing and seek training and safe handling. Well, exactly. And, you know, I've actually talked to our – um, our uh, delegation in Congress uh, about trying to do something similar at the federal level um, in terms of um, a, a credit uh, at uh, you know on on, on your, your taxes at the end of the year, even as far as the feds are concerned and the IRS. But this gets this done right here in Indiana. And and you know what uh, this if this were to pass that 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 couple out there or that individual out there who's on the on the on the on the borderline they're on the edge and they're saying well you know should I go take this class and by the way it's not just for training it's also uh, for storage devices right like um, gun safes yes and so that you know that that couple or or individual out there saying you know should I go do this or should I not it's, it might cost me a little money uh, go take a, a course uh, go pay a firearms instructor or or spend money at a gun store to buy a safe hey this provides um, a real financial incentive to go ahead and go down that road sure and it's to me that's that's how it should be we we shouldn't be establishing programs. Um, you know, taking money from people. Let people keep as much as of their money as... Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Possible. But if there is a way that, and you said this, again, very well, to use a a carrot instead of a stick, by all means, I think this is a great approach. Well, okay. Now, it's been referred to ways and means um, since this has um, uh, potentially an economic impact on the state. Uh, in terms of, I guess, some minimal uh, reduction in the number of taxes the state would take in, it's got to go to ways and means, right, as a, as a first step? Correct. And I reached out to the chairman of that committee, um, Representative Jeff Thompson, who's a great guy. I mean, he, he's a, a limited government to a person. And 
Representative Thompson, I mean, he has a lot on his plate, obviously handling the budget of the state. But he has agreed to meet with me to discuss this issue. So, you know, it's not dead. You know, I've I've offered this several times. I think this is at least the fourth, if not fifth time I've brought this up. And you just you have to keep plugging away, as you talked about on your show earlier when you start off. You know, constitutional carry took over ten years. Right, exactly. <laughs> there, there, I'll tell you what, man. If if I if I uh, had a nickel for every time I saw on social media uh, or uh, elsewhere um, somebody saying, "Oh, you guys are naive. Uh, Indiana's never going to pass this. That um, is never going to happen. You guys are just beating your head against the wall." Uh, man, how many how many years? How many how many gazillions of times do we see that and again get that feedback? But you know what? It's all about keeping the shoulder to the grindstone and not giving up. Well, you have to, and that's the thing. I mean, quitters. It, it, anybody could be a quitter on that, but something that important. And sadly, it should not have taken that long. When you read the Constitution, that should never have been an issue. But I know there were a lot of strategies that played out along the way, and a, a lot of countless hours you yourself i don't know how many times you came up and testified in committees and yeah. you know you fought the good fight so thank you for that well no, my pleasure and you know what it made a difference to and and i want to um pat uh, the 2a project on the back here too much at the same time it made a big difference because you know for years and years and years you posted a great picture it brought back a lot of great memories um and it it, it just looking at the picture it wasn't necessarily a happy picture but it was a committee hearing and uh, it looked to me to be public policy. And I, don't, I think the bill was actually the self-defense immunity bill that, that, that you authored, you championed, and introduced in General Assembly. Um, and, uh, and, and that I, you wrote. Yeah, and I participated in the drafting <laughs> process. But that you know, I looked at that. It was 2019. And this picture, and I'll, I'll repost this because you put it up on social media and then I shared it. Um, but it's, it's a, a packed uh, hearing room and that that room that uh, that uh, public policy meets in down on the first floor, which I always call the basement of the General Assembly. Not a real big room, but it's packed, and it's it, and you're sitting up at the table with the committee members. You've been on that committee for a long time. I'm sitting in the front row, and I'm sitting next to Dr. Chris Kapaki, the NRA representative, and I brag on him all the time because he's a rock star. Uh, he appropriately got promoted at NRA, so we lost him as our Indiana rep, but he was fabulous and really helped on so many different issues, including that year where we got so much done, um, and and Chris Kapaki from NRA had a big, huge role in all of that, um, but it's me and Chris Kapaki sitting in the front row. And then pretty much the entire rest of the room is full of ladies in red t-shirts that say mom demand mom's demand on it. And and they're and they're packed. They're 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 like standing room only. They're they're lined up across the back. And that was the environment we had for years and years and years at every one of these committee hearings was just a few of us. And you know, the citizens, the voters, I know we out we we outnumber these people dramatically, but we weren't very good for years at showing up. And, and, and it'd be a few of us, and, and of course, you and Ben Smaltz and so many others that participate in the committees and, 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 and write the bills and introduce the bills and fight for them in the legislature. But in terms of public input, we were outnumbered for years. And one thing I was, I was really I was proud of is we were fighting for constitutional carry in 2022. Man, the dynamics in those hearing rooms, was, was they were different because we had a lot of people in the blue T-shirts that say, 
2A project on them, showed up, they testified, they sent emails, they uh, they made phone calls, and I think it made a hell of a difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to get the people involved. And there's no other way to get something like that passed without getting you know, supporters out there. And that's one of the most frustrating things on the issues that we stand for uh, is people, they, they don't understand, or I don't know what it is, they do not understand how important it is to speak your mind and support those that are out there fighting on the front lines. It's really true. I mean, there are way too many people out there that I, I think, and, and this is true on a lot of different conservative issues, and it's a constant disappointment to me. There are too many people who would much prefer to just sit on their hands, not participate, and then just bitch after the fact. And I, and, and I jump on people. I'm saying, you know, I'm sorry. You're telling me we're never going to get constitutional carry passed. You're telling me that, you know, leadership's never going to let this happen. Where were you at the last hearing? I I, you know, I know people who were in that hearing room who were on our side. You weren't one of them. Where the hell were you? Yeah. And, and I never get a response to that. Or, well, I was busy. You know what? I'm busy, too. Um, but now I'll carve it out of my schedule because it's a priority for, for of mine. But uh, but I, we're changing that. And I, that's why I'm really proud of, uh, of what happened with the 2A project. Uh, uh, let me leave you with this question. Uh, or we'll conclude the conversation anyway. Um, I, 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 I a little bit get the sense, and look, I'm not in the General Assembly, but I have a little bit of the sense that since we got constitutional carry passed in, in 2022, I get the sense that uh, the leadership, Republican leadership in both the House and the Senate are kind of patting us on the head a little bit going, hey, you got, a, you, you got your wish list. You got your holy grail. Uh, why don't you just kind of calm down and, and pipe down a little bit? <laughs> and, and look, I, I'm not asking you to share any, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in, inside the General Assembly conversations, but do, do you think there's still an opportunity for pro 2A legislation and that um, we can still go through and, and, and get some things done? Uh, yes, I think so. But to that point, I mean, you have to sit back and look at what all we've accomplished in the last decade and oh, ask yeah. what else is left. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, a, we, we have, you know, that's a good point because we've checked an awful lot off the list. And, you know, and that's another thing I like to do. I'll do it on social media. And I need to save this because I end up having to recreate it. But somebody will go, oh, you know. Indiana Republicans are great talking 2A, but never, nothing ever gets done. And I'll go, really? And I'll start naming the bills. And, and hell, you were the author of a hell of a lot of these. But all the all the different positive changes we made to the, the school property bill, uh, the preemption bill was all the way back to 2011, which was Senator yeah. Jim Toms. Um, you know, the, the self-defense immunity and, and the free licenses. Uh, church carry and you know just on and on and on and on I can, I can sit there I can I can fill up a big long list of all the great things we've done and say you know did you miss this did you sleep through this do you not understand where we really are and this is because of leadership uh, from people like you and Jerry Tor uh, who I was really disappointed to see that he's not going to run re-election in the next election because he's been a hero. And a lot of times, Jerry can kind of be the adult in the room when when some of us, me included, want to get hot and upset and and you know uh, pound the table. Jerry Jerry can be the adult in the room and kind of say, "Okay, let's take a deep breath and let's talk about how we solve these issues." And I, I just really hate to see him go because he's been a real hero. I do too. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry's been a stalwart, and he's been dependable. And like you said, he 
uh, was, was a great part of, of a great team that still has a lot of uh, really good members there, but Jerry will be missed. But I'm just sitting here thinking everything you rattled off, um, campus carry. Yeah. It's really, you know, the elimination of gun free zones is the one that I, that's, that's the one I'm going to focus on from here on out because everything else is pretty much accomplished already. Yeah. Campus carry. I agree with you. That's a big one. And, um, and I'll, you know, I'll, I, I, we're a little past the bottom of the hour and we need to take a break, but um, that's a big one. And I've got some just heartbreaking stories that arise out of people that have gotten uh, expelled from school because um, they chose to exercise the option to, to carry a gun on campus and, and it's heartbreaking. Um, but that, that is, that, that's one that we ought to really focus on. And I'm sure you and I will be talking about that as well as what you got pending again. I think it's 1144, uh, great bill. It, it, I love the, the carrot it provides rather than a stick. It's the right way to approach the issue. And, and thanks to you for uh, continuing the fight. No, it's my pleasure. Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Your guy, thanks for letting me on. Absolutely, man. You have a great evening. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We've got some people on the phones. We're going to go to the phone lines and join the discussion 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Before we do that, though, I want to give a shout out to Hammer and Nigel. Um, they invited me to come over and, and, and stop in and actually join the show. This was uh, a remote broadcast of the Hammer and Nigel show, the number one afternoon drive time show uh, in Indiana. And uh, they, um, they were having a fundraiser called Red, White, and Bowl for veterans, to raise money for veterans, uh, uh, sponsored by Jack Daniels. And this was at uh, Woodland Bowls, what I call it. Uh, there at uh, on East 96th Street, just east of Keystone, and I stopped by. They had a, they had a whole big section of the bowling alley uh, cordoned off just for this event. Uh, they did their show live from there, and then they had a, a, a bowling event, kind of a bowling competition. Um, there, there, there was a there was a, a bar there. Uh, you had a great participation. I left fairly early, uh, but stopped by, did the show. I got to do a couple of segments on there on the Hammer and Nigel show, and it was just a blast. And I understand they raised a whole bunch of money uh, for veterans, which is just awesome. And so that you know that's the kind of thing that those guys do, and that we all try to do here uh, on ninety three WIBC, and that I'm just really proud of. So uh, thanks to Jason Hammer and and Nigel R. Nigel as we call him uh, for um, for putting that on and doing a fabulous job. I'll tell you what, in the meantime, let's go to the phone lines. Frank's been holding for a while. Frank, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hello, guy. How are you today? Good, good brother. You doing all right? I'm, I'm staying warm. Got the fire. There you go. Going. That's that's key these days. <laughs> yes. Anyway, my question is, what is the mindset of these anti-gun people, and other than emotion, on why they're so vehemently opposed to your gun rights and your right to self-defense 
and the right to be able to confront your government over your, uh, you know, losing your rights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Frank, you know, listen, I, I could do, um, and thanks for your question, by the way, and thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Um, I could do a whole show talking about what I think the, the motivations really are. Um, let me briefly answer uh, the question this way. I think it varies, obviously. I mean, you know, uh, you're talking about a wide variety of people. A lot of times to the extent that this is com- coming from government officials. That is, uh, whether it's a state level, uh, local, federal, whatever it might be, it's all about control. That's you know, there's a there's a meme out there, and I've seen bumper stickers and say, um, "Gun control isn't really about guns; it's about control." And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that an armed citizenry is is scary to those people. And you know what? It may be subliminal. It may be subconscious. It may not necessarily be something they think about. I think others may certainly think about it. And that is that, as the founders intended it, an armed citizenry allows you to have the ability to stand up to the government and give them a big middle finger to the extent that they want to impose tyranny on the citizenry uh, of this country. And, and, and there are those out there who would really like to impose um, their version of government, which turns out to be tyranny, and, the, and, the, and an armed populace allows us to stand up to them and say, hell no. And, you know, that's a, that's a very broad issue. I think a lot of individuals, a lot of times when I talk to people um, just on a very individual level, I mean, there are times when I'll be wearing a two-way project hat or shirt or a tactical firearms training, you know, my training company, I'll be wearing, you know, a shirt or hat or whatever, and I'll be sitting around somewhere having a beer or otherwise, and somebody will just pipe up and go, well, I'm anti-gun, you know, just based on looking at me and what I'm wearing. I mean, I, I wore my coat today that says tactical firearms training with a big logo on the back of it so you know i don't i don't hide where i'm coming from and and a lot of times they'll they'll you know want to challenge me or whatever and i most times i ignore it or i kind of blow it off because that's not how i want to spend my evening but occasionally um you know i'll go ahead and engage that conversation and a lot of times what's what's interesting to me just on a pure individual level and this doesn't now i don't think even necessarily has a political uh, origin to it. A lot, of, a lot of times, people advocating for gun control are just people that don't own guns and are actually scared of guns. They're 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 scary to them, and since they don't own one and don't want to own one, and they're actually scared of the, of the idea of owning one, they would just assume nobody else owned one either, and 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 that puts everybody else on the same on the same level with them, because hey, if if they can't legally own guns then it's the government telling them they can't rather than just their own fear that's providing that decision for them. And, and, I, and I, I hear that all the time. And a lot of times when people have come out so adamantly, just on an individual level, I've said, what, have you been shooting? And, and sometimes I have friends, acquaintances. Uh, one fraternity brother I was talking to way back in the day, and he was talking about how, how anti-gun he was. I go, have you been to the range? Have you shot at guns? Well, no, I've never touched a gun. I don't want to. They're scary. They're evil. They're, you know, this, that. Well, let's go to the range. And so uh, I took him to the range. And it took a while. And, I, you know, I, I've been teaching people for a long time. I know how to do it slowly and, and so that they're comfortable. And by the time he walked out of there, he was going, that's awesome. I want to have a gun for, you know, to defend my home. I mean, he got comfortable with it. And suddenly the idea of owning a gun or me owning a gun or anyone else owning a gun wasn't nearly as scary because he got comfortable with it. 
and 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 that's true. And th- those are kind of opposite extremes because something one can be very very personal another one can be you know an evil political agenda and there are a whole lot of reasons in between so i could go on for a long time on that on that question frank it's a good question something we'll get uh, more into i'm sure here on the gun guy show we're a little past the three-quarter hours time to take a break we come back we'll go back to the phone lines we'll get back to what's going on in the general assembly this year both pro 2a and anti-2A uh, when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Rolford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'll tell you what, we don't have time for a long segment, but Buzz has been holding for a while. Buzz, welcome uh, back to The Gun Guy Show, man. What you got for us? Good afternoon, Guy. How you doing? Okay. I heard Tony Katz say something about Washington State was going to put a privilege tax on ammunition. Yeah, right. California uh, has done or is doing something similar. Well, this is year the Supreme Court needs to state what shall not be infringed means to put a stop to this asinine stuff that these people are coming up with. Yeah, and 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 Buzz, really, the Supreme Court has. I mean, you go back to the the Heller case um, from two thousand and eight; it lays it out pretty good. And and listen, that doesn't mean that the states and even local governments, like we we've seen right here in Indianapolis, for instance, won't continue to to defy what the Supreme Court says and look for ways to skirt around it. Uh, they simply do. But what we're talking about is putting such an exorbitant tax on ammunition that nobody can afford ammunition, or at least people won't buy as much as they otherwise would. So what does that really do? Um, is that going to prevent you from buying enough rounds to load your gun uh, to carry if you're a criminal? Uh, of course not. Uh, what's going to do is it's going to it's going to impair the ability to train and be responsible and to learn your firearm and learn marksmanship and safe gun handling, um, and and it's not going to ha- it's not going to have any effect at all on criminals. Uh, but that's just what we see over and over again, and, and it, it's a way to say, well, if we can't pass directly the kind of gun control we want to pass, and listen, Washington's passed all kinds of gun control, and a lot of it, if not all of it, is being challenged in court. Uh, there's just another way around that, and they're trying to defy the Second Amendment in any way they can. And that's what we'll continue to see, uh, and we'll have to continue to fight it. Right now, we're at the top of the hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is The Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Going to continue to talk about what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly. And listen, we, we often talk about the anti 2A bills that get introduced every year. Um, and there's one I want to talk about here a little bit later in the show, which surprisingly, and and I think disappointingly, um, was introduced by a Republican. And, and it could be, and listen, I, I dropped the ball on this a little bit. The, I had a couple of legislators reach out to me 
and uh, right before the holidays and try to get my opinion on this. And I was getting ready for trial. And Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I wasn't able to respond. Uh, and I feel badly about that because uh, I would have liked to have uh, headed this off before it was ever filed. Um, but I'll talk more about that. But, but before we get on to the, the negative side of things, I want to talk more about um, some really important and positive bills uh, that we have pending. And one of the leading examples of that is Senate Bill 28, um, introduced by uh, uh, Senator Jim Toms. And I've, I've talked about Jim Toms um, uh, often. He was, the, he was the author of the uh, Preemption Act, which prohibits local governments from regulating firearms. It's hugely important. People don't understand the the real positive impact this has had on the state and on Second Amendment rights in Indiana, because if local governments, if the city of Indianapolis could do whatever it wanted to do, just as Joe Hoggs wants to do, and they're trying to do, what stands in their way? The Indiana Firearms Preemption Act. Well, that was Senator Jim Toms, with a lot of support from a lot of other folks. And on the bill with him uh, is uh, uh, Senator Gary Byrne and Senator Aaron Freeman. Aaron Freeman uh, chairs the Courts and Criminal Code Committee um, and uh, was a real hero for us on constitutional carry in the Senate in 2022. And he's been so strong on Second Amendment rights for a long, long time. So I'm not surprised at who we see on this bill. But, uh, but what Senate Bill 28 would do, this is another bill kind of in a series of bills that have been introduced. And, and we can't get these a hearing in in the Senate where they've been uh, introduced. And to keep going to the the insurance and, and or banking and financial institution, no, insurance and financial institution committee. I think I got that right. And uh, listen, the banking lobby has uh, has a whole lot of pull in the in the General Assembly. And, and we've had trouble, even though they've been introduced by some really solid pro-2A legislators, we've had trouble uh, getting them hearings or getting them out of committee. And and what we talked about, it's, it's why is it in the Financial Institutions Committee? Well, it's because it deals with financial issues. And here's, here, here's the issue. Some time ago, this goes back several years, the anti-gun groups came out with what got labeled Operation Chokehold, or Choke Point, I think was a more accurate term. Operation Choke Point. And, and what does that mean? It means that when they can't get done what they want to get done in the legislature on anti-gun legislation or gun control legislation, that they can then go to financial institutions and use an attack on the finances of those involved in the firearm industry to essentially put them out of business or so restrict their business it's not worth being in anymore. And for instance, you had uh, the state of New York go to insurance companies and say, you ought to um, cancel insurance for any business that that 
involves the firearm industry or involves firearms, period. They've gone to banks. There's more to talk about on this. I'll talk get to here later in the show. They've gone to banks and say, you ought to just close the accounts and refuse to do business with people involved in the firearm industry. And listen, you, you, if you hear that, if you're rolling your eyes going, oh, yeah, right, banks are as greedy as anybody else. They're not going to deny anyone's business just for some political reason. Oh, let me tell you. I had, and I need to have another one of these. In fact, I'm going to try to organize this in the next week or two. I had what I called the gun shop roundtable, and this was during COVID. And I had, I had five gun shop owners right here in the studio. They all had a live mic, and we just had a roundtable. And I, I was talking a lot about what they saw during COVID. You know what the problems they had with supply, both of guns and ammunition. Uh, ammunition got, you remember. Got real hard to find. And and then when you could find some, the prices got outrageous because the suppliers had just limited supply. They were cranking the cost and uh, wholesalers were cranking the cost. And so people were mad at their gun shops because the price of ammunition was so high. Well, it was because they were having to pay outrageous prices to get it into the store to begin with. Unless they're willing to sell it at a loss, then they had to raise their prices as well. So anyway, I, I, we were talking about all those issues. You know, you know, how you doing on finding guns? And they were talking about all the creative ways. I mean, they were up on some of the some of the websites. You know, up at two and three in the morning, they'd set their alarm to to look for you know a new uh, pallet of ammo that came available from a wholesaler and try to jump on it before anybody else did. And they they all sold they all told very similar stories. And it was a fun it was a fun show because these guys hadn't all necessarily been talking to each other. And it was fascinating to see how similar their experiences were and how similar their approaches were. These are all good people. I mean, you know, they're all strong believers in the Second Amendment. They're all gun people. Uh, They carry daily and they care about Second Amendment rights and to the point where they decided to make it a business. And we were discussing all the challenges of COVID and, and otherwise. But then at one point, and this didn't have anything to do with COVID, I just asked the question. And I don't know, it just kind of popped into my head. Because I had been talking to someone here recently about, uh, it was an instructor, a good friend of mine, person I've, I've co-taught with, and uh, I've known for a long time, a law enforcement officer, longtime instructor, his certifications are, are, you know, his resume looks like a phone book from all the different professional certifications this guy has. And he's got a letter in the mail one day just from his bank just saying, We're, we've closed your account. Here's a certified check for the balance. His, his checking and his savings and his business checking and just said, we don't want to do business with you anymore. And he was shocked. He, he was calling him going, what is what's going on? You know, he's thinking the IRS is after him or, you know, there, there, there's some identity theft going on where somebody else has, has done something with his credit. And he pushed it and pushed it. And eventually he got kind of a cryptic answer, but the cryptic answer was his bank didn't want to do business with him anymore simply because he was a firearms instructor. And I've had credit card processing companies refuse to do business with me for like selling my book. By the way, I've, the, the inventory is sold out and I, I haven't yet talked the publisher into printing more. So gun safety and cleaning for dummies has been around for a long time since 2012. Um, those may be... Well, I'm not so arrogant as to call them collector's items, but it looks like they're not going to be able to be any more of them. 
And I've just got a handful I'm keeping a hold of just for personal reasons and nostalgia. But at any rate, credit card processors who didn't want to process credit card payments for people buying a book entitled Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies. It's a book about gun safety. It's how to, how, how to teach people how to be safe and responsible with guns. Oh, no. We, we don't want to do business. We don't, we don't, that, that, that supports mass shootings. What? That supports gun violence. What the hell are you talking about? People who are come and pick up and read this book and be responsible law-abiding gun owners are going to be people like Eli Dickin, who stopped a mass shooting in the Greenwood Park Mall. On July 17th, 2022. That's the kind of person that I'm selling my book to. Not the thug or the criminal who could care less about safe gun handling. What the hell are you talking about? But this was pervasive. And when I I asked that gun shop roundtable, all five of them sitting right here in the studio, I said, by the way, have you guys had any banks or credit card companies refuse to do business with you because... You run a gun shop, and every single one of them, hand shot in the ear. Every single one of them. Oh, hell yeah. Happened to me. I mean, this is pervasive. And more and more gun shops are, are facing the challenge of having to go seek out a bank that was willing to do business with them just because they're a bank. And, and, and or excuse me, they're a gun shop. And, and, and it goes on from there, and I'll get more into this after the break. We're going, to t- we're going to take a break and get more into this and talk about a bill. And we'll talk about some of the other iterations of similar bills that have been introduced in the past. We haven't been able to get through committee and get a vote. And talk about Senate Bill 28. You want to look it up. Go to the Indiana General Assembly website and, uh, and you can search for bills, legislation, Senate Bill 28. Um, you'll see it. We'll talk about what this means and what it's trying to accomplish. And it's broader than just the gun industry. And it has uh, more benefits for Hoosiers than just those who care about Second Amendment rights. We'll get into all of that when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Now, you've got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Talking about a very pro 2A bill that's pending right now. And listen, I understand this may very likely get a hearing uh, this Wednesday in the, I believe it's Insurance and Financial Institutions Committee. And listen, check my social media here this week, including Monday, because we should see an agenda then. But if this gets a hearing, we really need uh, support. We need our 2A project members to show up. Um, We people there supporting this bill because we've had trouble getting uh, the bill out of, or similar bills out of committee in the past. And listen, we've had bills before. We had a bill a couple of years ago that actually got scheduled for a hearing, went in, I testified for it. We had the banking lobbyists testifying against it, and several people testified in support. That was a bill that just simply said, if financial institutions, banks and credit cards, discriminate against gun owners or people involved in the gun industry, then the state of Indiana won't do business with them. And I love the bill because it wasn't Big Brother telling them how to do business. It wasn't saying, oh, we're you know, we're going to make this a crime or we're going to have some huge fine. It was just, no, do what you want to do. You discriminate against anybody you want to discriminate against in terms of these issues. 
But if you do, the state of Indiana won't do business with you. So you got a credit card company, you know, people won't be able to use your credit card to pay for their plates when they renew their registration or pay for their driver's license or whatever else it might be in terms of the financial transactions conducted by the state. And I'm sure the state has any number of different bank accounts, whether it's all the different agencies, you know, DNI or and all, I mean, on and on and on. Okay. Discriminating against anybody you want to. Well, guess what? You have that right to do that. We have the right to do business with whom we choose. And the state of Indiana won't do business with you. I love that. Made all the sense in the world. It's been passed in a couple of other states. We had a hearing. And the chairman at the time said, I believe it was Andy Zay, said, uh, well, we run out of time. We don't have time to vote on this. So, uh, well, well, we'll we'll consider this and we'll vote next next hearing, next meeting of the committee. Guess what? They they never called it for a vote. We had a hearing. People testified, and it just died. Well, a, a, a similar bill, at least it has overlap, is Senate Bill twenty eight, and I've mentioned it before. What this does, it's broader than just protecting people involved in the firearms industry. It actually prevents financial institutions from making financial decisions, including credit decisions, based on what they're calling here a social credit score. And if you haven't heard that term, it's something that that liberals are really starting to push. And that is that there are things that, that financial institutions, they think, ought to take into account before doing business with you or giving you a loan or handling your financial transactions. That includes something like if your company has a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, whether your company uses uh, affirmative action as part of its hiring processes. They'll look at whether your, your company is involved with the fossil fuels in some way. And if so, then that affects your so-called social credit score. Then obviously, if you're involved in the firearm industry, that's another thing that impacts that as well. And so based on all these things that have nothing to do with how credit worthy you are, how solvent you are, how capable you are of paying back a loan or being a responsible business that they should want to handle the financial transactions for, that they'll still refuse to do business with you based on your social credit score. And this bill, Senate Bill 28, would prevent that. And it includes not just discrimination. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Nation based on involvement in the firearm industry, but a social credit score based on these other factors as well. And, and how much sense does that make? And it says, look, it says right in the bill, you can make financial decisions based on anything actually associated with risk, that is risk of making a loan, and the financial strength and, and, and status of any particular organization. And the fact that someone is involved in the firearm industry, for example, if when you apply the language of this bill, if they also have don't have a history of responsibly repaying their loans, 
then yeah, a company would say, no, nah, I don't choose to do business with you, and they won't be penalized for that because they're basing it on a, on a, on, on a legitimate financial criterion. But to the extent that a company is as credit worthy, worthy as the next, but they don't have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, they don't use affirmative action, and or they're involved in the firearm industry or the fossil fuels industry, and financial institutions are then going to refuse to do business with them, oh, hell no. And that's exactly what this bill provides. And I like that. I like that a lot. And listen, um, keep in mind, I, and I'll, I, I may very likely know more by the time the Hammer and Nigel show airs tomorrow. We're doing a late uh, Monday gun day. We usually do it at 3.35. We're doing it at 4.35 because of some other scheduling issues the guys had for the show. I'm happy to do that. So turn, tune in at 4.35 on Hammer and Nigel for Monday gun day, and I may likely know specifics about a uh, scheduled committee hearing on Senate Bill 28, but we really will need your support on that and want to have you come out. Another pro two-way bill, and this is huge, and this, this relates to something, there have been several bills passed on this, is a bill that would finally, hopefully, put an end to the frivolous litigation going on in northwestern Indiana, where the city of Gary has sued basically Basically, every member of the firearm industry, obviously not every, but most major manufacturers of handguns, for instance, are getting sued in Gary, saying, well, it's your fault that we've had all this gun violence in Gary. It's not, it's not liberal policies. It's not failing to enforce existing law. It's the gun industry's fault that we have gang members killing each other in Gary. And, and they're been a number of legal hurdles put up in the way of such lawsuits, including at the federal level and including right here in Indiana. Well, House Bill 1235 that we're hoping passes this year, authored by Representative Chris Jeter, it takes another stab at trying to end that litigation and prevent similar frivolous litigation here in Indiana. We'll talk more about that also when we come back. Right now, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the gun guy. Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Ralford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIPC. So we're talking about a bill that would hopefully put an end to this lawsuit in Gary. And, and what's that lawsuit all about? Well, it's blaming gun manufacturers for the fact that there's gun violence in Gary. And listen, there are a couple of statutes in place designed to prevent exactly this kind of a lawsuit. You have the Federal Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, and then you have a parallel state statute. And what they, what they both say, they're a little different, but what they both say essentially is that if a firearm manufacturer lawfully manufactures and sells a gun, or a firearm retailer lawfully sells a gun, and that gun then is later used in a crime, the manufacturer or retailer can't be sued for that. And you may listen to that and be looking at your radio funny, or your computer, phone, depending on how you listen to the Gun Guy show, 
I'm thinking, well, that's idiotic. Why would we need such a law? Who's going to file such a lawsuit? Well, city of Gary and several others, several private individuals, by the way. The Some of the survivors were next to kin of the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, mass shooting, sued Remington, saying, well, it's your fault for selling the AR-15 that was used to kill many of the people in Sandy Hook Elementary. And you're thinking, how was it the manufacturer's fault? Well, uh, they come up with a theory. It's how you market it. You induced people to buy this particular kind of firearm, knowing the high likelihood it's going to be used in a mass shooting. And whenever I talk about this, you know, a lot of times I've had comments on social media or somebody will call in and they'll go, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, guy. I mean, if somebody takes a Ford pickup and goes and, and drives through a crowd of people and kills 20 people with a Ford pickup, nobody sues Ford. Well, that's right. But people sue the gun industry. Because, again, it's another way, I think, around the fact that a lot of anti-gun organizations, like the Brady Campaign or the Bloomberg organizations like Moms Demand Action, they can't get things done in Congress or in state legislatures. So they want to get them done in the courtroom. Well, let's sue the gun industry into oblivion. Let's take a, 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 a page out of the book of the attacks on the tobacco industry and look at the billions and billions of dollars. Now, big tobacco was too big to be forced out of business by the billions of dollars in liability imposed against the tobacco industry. And I don't know that there are any analogies in terms of the gun industry hiding the latent dangers and defects associated with their product. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about defective products or a gun doing anything other than what a gun's designed to do, as opposed to the tobacco industry back in the day. The allegation was, and there were a lot of there was a lot of evidence behind this that really hid a lot a lot of what was known about the health effects of can- of smoking, including the likelihood it causes cancer. But to look at the to- excuse me, the tobacco example, a lot of folks said, hey, let's use that. Let's use litigation against the gun industry. And that's why Congress passed the law, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. It says, hey, if they manufacture and sell a gun legally, this is not This is not covered, by the way. You've heard Biden and other liberal politicians come out and say, oh, the gun industry is the only industry that has complete immunity from liability. No, they don't have complete immunity. If if a manufacturer of a gun sells a defective gun, and there have been recalls on some guns because, yes, they had a defect. And, in fact, Taurus, the most recent example of this, has a gun that if you drop it in a certain way, the gun will go off because of a defect in the gun. This act has no bearing on that. And it says right in the act, doesn't foreclose lawsuits over defective products or breach of warranties or anything along those lines. It's if they lawfully sell a product that functions as it's intended to function, and it's then used in a criminal act, 
it cuts off liability in that context. And that's exactly what it should do. But because of the timing of the passage of some of these laws, because the Gary lawsuit was passed, I want to say, 23 years ago? It's got to be, got to be a record for the longest pending litigation in the history of the state of Indiana. I, I'd be shocked if there was another lawsuit out there that's been pending over two decades. And Indiana tried to amend their immunity statute to get that thing dismissed. Because listen, I, I've talked to, to people at the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, who really are the organization for the gun industry, gun manufacturers and sellers included. And they've said, listen, we have members that would like to come do business in Indiana, but as long as the Gary lawsuit's pending, and that's an example of how you can get sued, and and the law doesn't protect you in Indiana, no, sorry, we're not willing to bring our industry, bring those jobs, bring those tax dollars to the state of Indiana. It hurts Indiana financially. So what does this bill do? What House Bill 1235 is the number. It says that that any lawsuit against a firearm manufacturer, seller, or dealer can only be maintained by the state of Indiana and not by what we call a political subdivision. That's the same term used in the preemption statute. It means local government. You have the state of Indiana and then you have the state of Indiana subdivided into a whole bunch of other political units like counties and cities and towns and townships and housing authorities and airport authorities and all these other local units of government. Those are what we call political subdivisions. It just means local government. And this bill says that only such an action against a firearm or ammunition manufacturer or trade association or seller or dealer can only be maintained by the state. So if the state of Indiana decides to file such a lawsuit, and they would still have to get around the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act and and get around the Indiana corollary of the same act. And it says only, only the state can file or maintain, maintains a key word here, because that would mean the city of Gary could not maintain its action, the idea being that lawsuit would finally be dismissed. Again, this has important political ramifications, but it has, more importantly, I think, important financial ramifications for the state of Indiana. The state of Indiana should get this passed because it hurts the state of Indiana to have the Gary lawsuit pending. It hurts us in terms of industry, an industry we could be bringing. And there have been a lot of firearm manufacturers pack up and move the states where they're, where they're in. There, there are multiple companies have left New York, for instance. It's too hostile an environment. Well, where are they ended up? Not in Indiana. And that's partially because of this Gary lawsuit. And that's not okay. We need to fix that. So I'll have more to say about this. When this gets a hearing, I'll be announcing that as well. And we'd love to have your support. I'll give you the phone numbers and the contact um, for exactly uh, who would best be the appropriate contacts to uh, make sure our elected representatives, and by the way, your representative and your senator, this is pending now in the House, so your representative would be the place to start. Call your representative in the Indiana General Assembly and say, hey, 
House Bill 1235 is something you ought to get behind and encourage a hearing and encourage its passage. And you might be wondering, by the way, how Remington got sued in the Sandy Hook context. Well, the, the, the immunity is based on lawfully selling or marketing a firearm. Because obviously you break some law, you shouldn't have immunity for that if liability results. And Connecticut, where that lawsuit was brought, because that's where Sandy Hook, Connecticut is, has a deceptive advertising statute. So when the lawsuit against Remington, the plaintiff said, well, in how you marketed your AR-15, you violated the deceptive marketing statute. At least that was the allegation. And since you violated deceptive advertising laws, your sale wasn't legal, therefore you don't have the immunity. And this went all the way up to the Connecticut Supreme Court, who agreed there was no immunity. So Remington's insurers, Remington had since essentially been sold off for parts, and you're just dealing with an insurance company who's worried about what it could potentially get hit for. And the insurance company looked at that and said, okay, now we're looking at a jury trial where we're defending a firearm manufacturer against survivors of a mass shooting in Sandy Hook Elementary. And could they really prove that the the reason that shooting occurred and the reason those injuries were sustained by the victims in Sandy Hook was because of the way Remington marketed its firearm? I mean, who's, who's to say that anybody... That is, that shooter, and I don't name shooters on the Gun Guy show, but that shooter or his mother who actually purchased the rifle because he killed his mother and took the rifle. Anybody ever saw an advertisement from Remington? Or that's what induced the purchase of the gun? Or that's what induced the shooting? You have to prove cause. That's a requirement in any lawsuit. That the, the conduct you're complaining of caused your injury. How in the hell would they ever prove that? The insurer ended up deciding it didn't much matter. Because a jury was going to find a way to give millions, if not hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, who knows, to these victims. The insurance company ended up doling out a whole bunch of money. The, the number doesn't immediately come to mind. I want to say $23 million, but don't hold me to that because that's just a number off the top of my head. But it was a bunch of money. Notwithstanding the fact there should have been immunity, well, House Bill 1235 would fix that in Indiana to say, if there's such a lawsuit to be had involving the illegal sale of a firearm, for instance, local governments can't bring it. Only the state of Indiana could. And that would be a whole hell of a lot different decision-making process than leaving it up to the city officials in Gary, Indiana. So it's an important bill. We'll talk more about it as it works its way through the General Assembly. Right now, we're a little past the three-quarter hour. We're taking a break. We'll be back for the last segment of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is the Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for our usual rather short segment at the end of the Gun Guy Show. Just got a couple, three minutes here left. But I want to talk about a bill, this is more on the anti-2A side, but it's a more reasonable, it's not reasonable, and I hope it doesn't pass, but it's a more reasonable version of the so-called safe storage bills that we see from time to time 
And this is introduced by Democrat Representative Mitch Gore, and it's House Bill 1325. And this one is a safe storage bill. What's an improvement, anyway, on this bill is that it doesn't simply say that if someone leaves a gun unsecured, that is not locked in a safe or otherwise disabled the trigger lock or otherwise, and they're in a home with a a minor, that would be anyone under 18, that they, by definition, immediately are committing a crime. And I talked about this in the context of the better approach, which is, I think the number was 1144, Jim Lucas's bill, that simply offers an incentive to buy gun safes, an incentive to take gun safety training, which generally include things like safe storage, through a tax credit, which is a brilliant idea. It's a bill that Jim's introduced before. I guess the right way to approach the issue with a carrot, not a stick. But so many of the safe storage bills we've seen over the years and that some other states have passed would, for instance, make me a criminal. If I have a 17-year-old in my house that's the state sporting clay champion, could teach lessons on safe gun handling and marksmanship. But because they're 17 and living under my roof, if I have a handgun on my nightstand, I'm committing a crime under some versions of this bill, including ones we've seen right here in Indiana. Well, Representative Gore's bill is a little different, where it says someone who recklessly, knowingly, or intentionally fails to secure a loaded firearm in their residence or vehicle commits neglect of a dependent if the dependent actually gets a hold of that and uses it. Now, that they would require it to use it to cause bodily injury. A little different, still not acceptable. We'll talk a lot more about this as we uh, progress through the legislative session. That's it for this week's Gun Guy Show. Hope you enjoyed it. We hope you come back. This is Guy Relford on 93 WIBC.